0: Hi, it's Ray G. This is Christmas number two. Have you wondered, really, where Christmas came from in America, or when it first started in America? Uh, I think most people believe that we've been celebrating Christmas ever since everybody came here. But that's actually not true. Um, when the pilgrims, well, let's say the Puritans first, because the Puritans were so Puritan that they thought that Christmas was a raucous holiday, and they actually forbade people to celebrate Christmas. Um, It wasn't really until the 19th century that Americans began to embrace Christmas, and we kind of reinvented it. We changed it from a raucous carnival holiday kind of thing into a family-centered thing that was more about peace. Um, See, there was a lot of class conflict, which there is now in America. In the 19th century there was class conflict which caused a lot of turmoil. Okay, Unemployment was high and there was uh, a lot of gang stuff going on and rioting. Um, so in New York City I think it was 1828 or something like that they instituted the first police force in response to Christmas riots. And that kind of brought people together, um, in the ruling classes anyway, the upper-middle classes, to change the way Christmas was celebrated. And then Washington Irving came along um, in 1819, and he wrote this sketchbook, which was a series of stories about the celebration in England of Christmas. But it was fictional. It was based on um, different groups and stories that he had heard, but they became stories that Americans believed in that were filled with customs that that weren't even true. <laughs> um, so it wasn't based on any holiday celebration that he had ever attended, that's for sure. And many historians don't even believe that there were any of those traditions around. They were basically invented. Um, and then there was the North and the South thing. And I'm from Alabama, so I kind of know this story <clears throat> The North and South were very divided on Christmas, as you know, as, as much as they were on slavery. The Northerners saw Christmas as a sin. It's, it was a sinful celebration. Thanksgiving was more important to Northerners, but in the South, Christmas was an important part of the whole social season. In fact, the first three states to make Christmas a legal holiday were in the South. Alabama made Christmas legal in 1836, and then Louisiana and Arkansas made it legal in 1838. This is long after the Revolution. As a matter of fact, you know, Congress was actually in session on Christmas Day in 1776. Um, There was no national holiday for Christmas. After the Civil War, the tradition started spreading across the country, mostly pushed by children's books. As people started writing stories like they do now and they make a lot of money on children's books, they spread customs for Christmas based on stories from other countries um, that could be or could not be true, like trimming trees and gifts delivered by Santa Claus. And um, those stories were then pushed by Sunday school classes. And uh and children started bringing those stories home. <laughs> so, um, in, you know, in the early 1600s, the Puritans made it totally illegal to mention St. Nicholas's name. They were not allowed to exchange gifts, light a candle, or sing Christmas carols. By the 17th century, the Dut- Dutch immigrants brought with them the, the legend of Sinterklaas, which was their idea of who Santa Claus was. But um, <coughs> Santa didn't first appear in the media as Sinterklaas. He appeared in the media as Saint A. Claus. Saint A. Claus. So, which we, of course, as Americans, anglicized and Americanized and turned into Santa Claus. Um, the New York Historical Society was founded in 1804, and they believed in the Dutch practice of gift giving at Christmas time. Saint Nicholas was its patron saint, and then Washington Irving wrote his book, and it wasn't under Washington Irving's name, I don't remember his name, it was a Knickerbocker kind of thing, um, which included a history of New York, and it was St. Nicholas riding into town on a horse. Then he changed the book into St. Nicholas riding over uh, and through the trees in New York in a wagon. And then a poem came along, 1821 or so, that was called Santa Claus, which was all about a a little man who was dressed in fur and drove a sleigh, drawn by a single reindeer. And it wasn't until 1822, when Clement Clark Moore, who was a dentist, um, wrote a poem called An Account of a Visit from St. Nicholas, which became known as The Night Before Christmas. And in that, he was portrayed as an elf with a miniature sleigh equipped with eight little reindeer, which are named in the poem like we know them, kind of, like Blitzen was that, it was not Blitzen, it was Blitzen, Comet, Cupid, Dancer, Dasher, Donder, Prancer, and Vixen. Uh, some people say somebody else wrote that, but but they've both been it, been attributed to that, that poem, and that's where Santa Claus of the Eight Tiny Reindeer came fl- from, and then we changed it, or another writer changed it, to Donner and Blitzen instead of Blitzen and Donder. Okay? And then it wasn't until 1841 when a a man who owned a store in Philadelphia hired somebody to dress up as Kris Kringle and to climb the chimney of his store. And then an illustrator, not too long after that, 20 years after that, created images of what Santa must look like for Harper's Magazine. And those continued all the way through the rest of the 1800s till the 1890s. Even Lincoln... Um, asked Thomas Nass to create a drawing of Santa Claus with some Union soldiers. Uh, he figured that Santa Claus supporting the enemy would have a demoralizing influence on the Confederate army. It was kind of an example of psychological warfare. So he used Santa for, you know, for a weapon. Um, The New York Sun, in the late 1890s, wrote an editorial in response to a letter. That was the Virginia O'Hanlon letter that said, Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. And then it was not until the 1920s that Santa was standardized to, to look like a man with a beard who was fat, overweight, jolly, and dressed in a red suit with white trim. And then, of course, now we have the real commercialization of Christmas, um, around 1931 i think it was when coca-cola came into being with santa claus they drew a series of images in their advertisements and those lasted all the way up to 1964 they hold they actually hold the trademark for the for the uh, santa design so christmas ads including santa are still coca-cola standards for christmas time 1939, we all know what was going on between 31 and 39. It was a rough time in America, but Montgomery Ward created a poem about Rudolph, the ninth reindeer. They made it up. Um, the, the guy, Robert May, from Montgomery Ward, was often uh, taunted as a child for being shy, small, and little. So he created an ostracized reindeer with a shiny red nose, who became a hero. So Santa was partway through deliveries when the visibility started to degenerate and he added Rudolph to his team to illuminate the path and this was his way of, of showing how to overcome the difficulties of being a child who's different so Rudolph actually became a, a hero to children who were shy and reserved 1949 right before I was born was when the song Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer came out and, and they relocated Rudolph to the North Pole where he was initially rejected by the other reindeer, just like little kids often do to each other. And then it was Gene Autry, and, and for those of us who are my age, we remember <laughs> all of Gene Autry's songs. Um, he's the one who sang about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and next to White Christmas is the most popular song of all time. Um, Around 1993, there was an urban folktale that began to circulate about a Japanese department store displaying a life-size Santa Claus being crucified on a cross. That never happened. And then another artist drew a painting of a crucified Santa Claus in 1997, um, which kind of threw people off and and upset people a lot. But the point is is that we, we really didn't have Christmas in America as everybody thinks we did. We we drew upon a lot of um, customs from other countries eventually, but we really invented what, what Christmas is today. We invented it as Americans. We said, this is what we want Christmas to be. <laughs> a lot of Christmas presents and a lot of um, good stuff going on with, with kids and things like that so that... Uh, we knew what, that you know, that Christmas would have Christmas trees and all that stuff, you know. <laughs> so, it's a little different than what we think it was, and uh, and people have to remember that, so that when you are struggling with your Christmas and trying to figure out what you're going to do for Christmas, you, you, you know, you can make it whatever you need it to be. You don't have to be like everybody else. It doesn't have to be um what the next door neighbors have. It doesn't have to be like it was last year. This year you don't have enough money to, to have the Christmas that you want. It's you know, all those things. You don't you don't need all those things. You can invent it like a good American. You can reinvent it and um and let it be the Christmas that you want it to be. If you if you can't afford the big tree, I've I've read some things on some of the social networks where they have a, people have a smaller tree this year and they're so sad about that. Well, you know we could afford one this year. We could afford a big tree and put it up. But but what we can't afford is the time. And um, people are going to be traveling this year differently than they were. The last few years, so so we're not going to be around for Christmas for a change. Um, so what we said was, instead of decorating the big tree, the eight footer or whatever it is, we just got a little tree, and we decorated that, and just just to have the lights, you know, to have the feeling and the the coziness and all of that. Um, But no lights outside, so I guess we're being environmentalists. Not really. What we're being is lazy. We don't want to do all the work if we're not going to be here. (laughs) So we'll be here right up until Christmas Eve, and then after that we're kind of gone for a while. So we're reinventing our Christmas this year. And many people have to reinvent it because they can't afford to do what they used to do. But that should be kind of a lesson, Um, something to think about. Maybe we didn't need to afford what we used to do for Christmas, 965,000 presents. I've done the same thing. When my littlest one was little, Christmas time was piles of stuff. I had this thought, I guess, somewhere in my mind, that if she had every kind of present there was, you know, something that might stimulate her scientific mind and something that might stimulate her spiritual mind and something that might um, stimulate the artist in her, um, whatever... Then she would become a better person, and she would love her Christmas presents. And uh, you know that's <laughs> that, so. So she would touch each one, and she would play with each one, but nothing ever came of it. And I didn't need to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars, um, especially when she's really young. You know, a couple of nice little things would have been fine, but they forget, and they break, and they get lost, and. I don't see any of the things that I got her, the, the chemistry sets or any of that stuff, helping her to become, or have, have helped her to become who she is today. It was me reading to her, me singing to her, me being with her, me sharing with her, me running around with her um, at Christmas time, giving people Christmas trees without them knowing who it came from, uh, leaving things on people's porches that said from Santa Claus or from God, that's what made the difference in that little kid's life. It wasn't all the presents that I bought or how big the tree was, and, and we all do it. We think, you know, we've been so Americanized into believing that we have to do everything big, that we always have to do it better the following year. We have such a hard act to follow every year. Cause so We got them 20 presents last year, so do we have to get 30 this year? We got them the big screen TV last year, so what do we get this year, A car? You know, a new house? What do we buy now? How do we beat the big screen TV? How do we beat the Wii? How do we beat whatever? Um, and I think the way you beat it is, is really you, you go back and you reinvent it. You rediscover what Christmas is all about with your children. And isn't it great if you have kids around to do that with? Now, if you don't have kids, it's a little harder. Um, or easier, depending on how you look at it. But the other thing that I would do with my kids was to make sure that other kids had Christmas so they could learn that magic, they could learn that spirit, they could participate in um, learning how to give and to give unconditionally, to give something away, a part of you, whether that's your heart or your spirit or a little love or whatever it is that you're giving. And not expect anything back. That unconditional giving that comes from unconditional love. And they had to learn that. Um, and they did. You know, they taught each other. We would have sometimes a dozen kids over on uh, the Christmas weekend. And we'd clear out the whole living room and make it just the kids' table. So there'd be 12, 15, 20 kids there. And they'd have their dinner together. And the grown-ups couldn't go anywhere near them. They had to stay in their own rooms and learn about their own inner child. Um, and then after dinner, Santa Claus would come to the house and bring presents. And I'll tell that story another time, uh, maybe the next time, about how we did that so that people started believing in Santa Claus whether they were 6 or 60. But the important thing was is that we taught kids then, and they helped teach each other that it was good to give. And that you could give without worrying about what you were getting back. So even if you're way across the world and you feel like you can't give your kids Christmas, give them a story. Write them something about giving unconditionally, about what it it means to you to share something that you didn't think you had or you didn't think you could afford or that you never knew was hidden inside of you that you gave freely that you gave without ever expecting anything back and let that child of yours understand what that means and let them feel it and you'll feel better too you'll feel like you've reinvented christmas for for them for you for your entire family and maybe in america we can then reinvent christmas for our country and not make it about consumerism and how many things we're going to buy and how big the tree is, but how important our spirit is as one nation under God. All these different states that we have, north and south, east and west, coming together with a whole lot of different experiences and, and memories and customs from other countries, um, ancestors, you know, everybody who came before us, and inventing Christmas in America as that unconditionally loving and giving time where we know what it means to give our hearts and souls to a country the same thing give christmas to america to the united states give of yourself give that part of you that says i'm an american i believe in my country and then really give it and let your kids see that and, um, and then we, we will have reinvented and maybe totally invented what christmas needs to be in the united states and and, and will be And it'll be a good Christmas, and we won't have to worry about the economy or the state of affairs. We can just give, and give unconditionally. Um, Make sure you you share this podcast, all of them. There'll, There'll be about 21 of them, and they're short enough. I don't make these really long, but they're short enough so that people can listen to them when they're wearing helmets and uniforms in Iraq or Afghanistan or they're riding a school bus to school. Let your kids hear them. Send them to your family. Send them to your friends. Um, they need to be heard because we need to remember, especially this time of the year, what Christmas is all about and how important we are to each other. So I need you to share them. I can't share them with the whole world. I try, but I need you to do that. And when you do, when you share these podcasts, you're actually giving at Christmas something that probably... The people that you're giving it to never would have found without you. So it becomes a very, very special present that you're giving them. So, uh, Merry Christmas. Go to earthwalk.susa.com. You can um, go to the video page and some other page, and there are a lot of Christmas songs on there that you can listen to with some Christmas videos. But the most important thing is to share these podcasts and share yourself. Have a Merry Christmas, and thanks for listening.